Uh, good evening, everybody. Oh, is that me doing that? Should I bend it or do something? Welcome to the table, you guys. Um, am I good? It's a little lot coming in hot. Thanks, Mom. The only one who tells me the truth around here. Everyone else is like, it's fine. I don't see any problems whatsoever. Leave it to my mom, though. Uh, this is the part of the program where we dive into one of our sacred stories in hopes that we can find some uh, nutrients in that soil that we can use to feed our own stories. Uh, we're a community that we're led by the left. I do mean that. Uh, I, I use that term kind of loosely because... When, when Christian Ankrum and Becky Ankrum had another baby, there was immediately like the bells and the whistles came out, millions of dollars poured into their home, there was a meal train set up. And yet when Lauren took off for Chicago and abandoned me alone for the past four days with my two-year-old, nobody gave anything. There was not one hot dish that showed up on my porch. There wasn't even a lunch bowl. And just to kind of give you an idea of what I've been through the past four days, I'm not angry. This is part of my healing process. This is uh, this afternoon after I spent a good, 10, 20 minutes, meeting my son's desire for his lunch item of PB&J, and, and uh, this is what he did, if I can get my room. Now, you can't quite see it, but this is, uh, yeah, you see that? That's, we had some, I don't know that we're going to relationally recover after all that we've been through these past few days. He said some things that he can't take back. He threw a, a, a diaper at me that I don't know how to shower completely off, keep your space. But we're here, right? All right, let's talk about Jesus. Mark 5 is the text we're going to go to. Mark 5 is the text, and it's reading like this. When Jesus had again crossed over by boat to the other side of the lake, where was he prior to, Matt? Well, he was in the Decapolis. This is the Greek side of the lake is where he was just before he was healing a man that was possessed by a demon. What does that mean? Well, there's a lot of different interpretations of something like that, but what a lot of uh, scholars would say is that in ancient writings, when we're talking about demonic possession, what they're trying to talk about is cultural repression. The things that people aren't speaking about, they're being localized in the body of one and put on full display. And you see that in Mark 5 prior to Jesus coming on this side of the lake, which is the Jewish side of the lake. So Jesus has just been on a work trip. He crosses back over to the Jewish side of the lake, and the moment that he gets off of the canoe and into a hammock, there is a large crowd gathering around him, brushing up against him, wanting the photo op, wanting to have him say something profound. Like he gets no R&R. There is no breathers for this man. Immediately, there's a crowd. And it's large. Mark wants us to know that. But not just that. In this crowd, there's a man. This man's name is Jairus. And Jairus is... Uh, He's a synagogue leader. Jairus is somebody who is a somebody. He's high on the totem pole. He has uh, a lot of respect on his name. He's got a big brand. People know who he is, but there's a problem. His baby girl is dying. And so Jairus, in the midst of this large crowd that is rushing up on Jesus, Jesus sees this authority figure, and he sees the crowd reacting to his presence and parting the sea of the crowd to make space for this respected leader. They see, he sees this man who is coming his way, and he's got swollen eyes. He's got snot in his beard. His hair is a mess, and he falls at Jesus' feet. You don't see that in the Gospels very often. Like Jesus has a very weird relationship with the religious leaders of this day. He's been liked him being there. He's been tossed out again and again because he refuses to defend the status quo and insists on disrupting it instead. 
This religious leader, though, has a different reaction to this heretic who just got off the boat. And instead of like waiting for Jesus to come into town and dealing with him, he throws out the Hail Mary pass, rushes to the front of the crowd, falls on his knees, and says, Jesus, can you help me? This word here in Greek for dying, it is idiomatic, and it really means that she's not like things have gotten really bad. It means she has one foot in this world and one foot somewhere else, and Jesus, if you do not come quick, we don't know what we're going to do. Right now, we're talking about do we need to pull the plug? Do we need to call it quits? Do we need to send her off in peace? You are the last chance, the last hope. Hear the desperation in this man Jairus' voice when he comes to Jesus. Listen to the white space between the black words as you take in a text like that. Pure panic moment. Things have hidden the fan in a way that it never have for Jairus before. And Jesus, who sees Jairus going through this and who hears his pleas, he says, okay, I will go with you. Take me to where you want me to go. You know, it's interesting. This is probably the first time. And the way that Mark writes it, he almost wants us to set it up to, to read this into it. This is probably the present as a person and not just known for his position. Even the way Mark introduces Jairus, we know uh, what Jairus does before we know who Jairus is. We know that vocationally he spends his time running the show in the synagogue. His whole life there is space between him and the people. And yet here, when the bottom falls out, he's on his knees and he's finally one of the people. Jairus is no longer just celebrated by many and yet only known by a few. He has that day where he gets the call from the doctor who's sitting with his daughter and he hears how grim and how dark it's going to be. And suddenly he leaves the position and the pomp and it's all exposed as petty. And he comes before Jesus and he says, help me. Can you, can you come and bring a fix? And Jesus says, yes. Jesus gets up to go. Now here's where I want us to focus tonight. And, uh, and I don't know what the sermon is for you inside of it. You know, like when we go into this text, we're not just like copying and pasting and doing this tradition for because people have always done it. We believe that there's weight inside of these words. We believe that there are things that are edifying and essential for our flourishing. But it's on you to find it. Like this is going to require your participation. Because this is the heart of the text where I want to take us tonight. This is the next part of that. As Jesus gets up to go... The large crowd that came at him prior to, they are now pressing up against him. And there is a woman who is there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors. And she had spent all that she had. Yet instead of getting better, she only grew worse. Doctors at this time, they were more like, um, like magicians. Like if you read some of these old Babylonian scripts that talk about what the doctors were prescribing to the people, like sometimes it was like you cut up the onions and you wash it on your head and then you scream at the top of your lungs, be better. Like seriously, you, you, there's one script that I actually took in this last week where uh, a doctor had a patient who was dealing with a similar predicament as this woman. He had her go stand in the middle of the street and then he had a fellow doctor come up behind her and scare her in hopes that the frightening act would somehow free her from her condition. So these people aren't, it kind of bugs me when people say, well, Luke was a doctor, and so you know how doctors are. Well, our understanding of doctors is a little bit different than how doctors, like Ben Trappy in the back, that's a real doctor. This is different doc. Hi, Ben. Good to see you. Thanks for coming. 
So this woman has been uh, exploited. She's been in this predicament. She's been isolated. She's been among the unclean. And she's been passed from doctor to doctor who has taken all of her money and yet provided no cure. Mark, when he talks about this woman and what she's going through and what she is carrying in her body, he says that she has suffered. There's a lot of different words you could use for suffering, but the word that he chooses to employ is the word mastix, which is a word that's typically reserved for torturous situations. When somebody's body is being absolutely decimated, scorched, when they're, when they're wasting away in front of you. He's trying to get at the gravity of what this woman is going through. But before we go into what it is that she's going through, don't miss how it is that she's being introduced. Because just like Jairus was introduced by first telling us about she has been battling this issue for so long that her issue is now her identity. And once your issue becomes your identity, that's a hard thing to shake. I don't care who you are. When you are known for the thing that you are struggling with, that's a sucky place to be. That's a hard script to set down. I'll tell you this story. I have a kid in our neighborhood, not my child, but he's a child in the neighborhood who is uh, a punk, I guess would be the best way to, to lay it out there. Just a problematic kid. Now, he's a kid. But one of the things that's hard is that when we have all these kids that are coming into our backyard to play, I've had to tell him multiple times that he can't be in there because he threatens to take shovels to kids' heads and has actually taken swings before. I don't like doing that, because I've had people do that to me when I was a kid. I don't like to do that. And so I try to have as much constructive dialogue as I possibly can. This last week, I had a conversation with this guy, and I, I thought he was good. You know, like I thought like we were actually making headway. The eye contact was there. There felt like there was some kind of give and take. There was a dialogue that was saying, I thought we were going somewhere. And then 10 minutes later, he had the shovel in hand and he was threatening to take out Sawyer's head. And so I said, Kyle, I'm going to need you to leave again. And uh, I walked him out. And I told him, I said, Kyle, man, like you're really fun to be around around you but I can't be around you when you act like this. And so I need you to be who you are and not continue in these ways that you and I both know you aren't. And Kyle is usually the guy who is going to flick me off and run away before I even finish the sentence, but he didn't this time. He lingered a little bit longer. And he just said, it is so hard. He goes, it's so hard. Because, yeah, I know I'm a good kid, but the moment I step into that crowd where they only see me as the bad kid, I don't know how to suddenly set down that script and pick up a new one. I fall into the act that they expect me to play. It is so hard to set that down. This woman has been dealing with an issue for so long that you can no longer separate her identity from her issue. She's so entrenched in it that it is who she is. And I just wonder, I guess, if anybody else in this room is the same way. If anybody else has picked up a script that was never yours to begin with, and yet you are trying to, right? Chels, Brene Brown, we'd rather fit in than belong until we play the cards that we've been dealt, even if we know that we are sacrificing purpose and identity to do so. This woman is in that place. She's in a place where she's been having this condition for 12 years and it's taken her out both physically and socially. She's a part of the unclean community now. 
Now, according to Levitical law, what that means is that if you have been bleeding like she family, you can no longer touch your child. You can't be in the house that you belong to. You actually have to go and live in isolation. You have to go and live by yourself. You can't be among people. Why is she among this crowd? Because the same reason that Jairus was there, desperate, throwing out this Hail Mary pass, hoping that somehow they'll be healing on the other end, this woman shows up with one last hope saying, maybe this man that I know very little love will have something to bring me where I've always dreamed of going. Maybe she'll be the re- he'll be the reason why I can go back to who I once was, to the places where I once was. So what is this condition that she's dealing with? I've had this fictitious idea. I know it's not real, but in my head when I've read this story, I, I, don't, I just know that the image of somebody that's been bleeding for 12 years straight, it's, it's not reflective of reality. Like she hasn't been searching the land high and low for a Kleenex or a fresh different going on. And so I called up a doctor friend of mine this week and I said, just obviously there's not a ton of information provided in this text, but tell me what you see. Like what do you think she's dealing with here? Like what is going on? And he, she said something interesting. She goes, I don't really know, but my hunch is that it's a uterine infection, a hemorrhaging internal, and she is bleeding in a place that nobody else can see. Bleeding in a place, out to me. You can't always see where somebody is bleeding. You don't know all the places in me that I'm bleeding right now. I don't know all the places in you that you're bleeding right now. You don't know the names of all my anxiety that keeps me up at night. I don't know about the heaviness that holds you back by day. There is that meme that is going around that speaks a truth that I haven't heard so profound in so long. We are all healing from the things that we don't speak about. We're all healing from those places that are bleeding inside that nobody else can actually see. Do you see it though? Do you know where your life is leaking out? What are the things in you that you've been avoiding? Where is your pain? What are you pretending not to know? Where is your fear? Where is your grief? For many of you, I know that you are doing amazing things in your life. And I I look around this room and I see your stories and I know your successes and I celebrate you top to bottom. But I also know that trophies cannot fix what trauma created. And so until we get into those things that we choose not to see, until we go to the places where the blood continues to leak, we won't be healed. You cannot fix what you will not face. Do you know the place where the life leaks out? Because it does matter. It's important that we are aware of that. Jesus has this woman who comes up to him. And when she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak. She didn't go to the front side like Jairus did because she didn't have a social standing like Jairus did. This is a woman who wasn't even supposed to sneak up from behind and not follow his feet up front. She came up from behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. And immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed 
from her suffering. Okay, so let's think about what this is. If anybody has any ideas what the text might be saying to you, now would be a great time to speak up. What is it saying in this moment right this? This woman sneaks up from behind and touches the hem about the Son of Man, and it, it has this word where it talks about the rays of God, the sun rays of God. That word for rays in the Hebrew language is kanaf, and kanaf is actually uh, the same word that's used of a corner of a garment, a prayer shawl, like the one that Jesus would have been wearing on this day. I tell you that because... In between the end of the Hebrew Bible and the beginning of the New Testament, there was some folklore that was created, a legend that stirred up saying that when the Messiah does come, in the kanaf of his clothes, if we touch it, there'll be healing. If we touch it, there'll be a cure inside of the kanaf. And so we believe that's why this woman is going to this place right here. But the question that strikes me the most is not actually why is it that she reaches for the kanaf, but why is it that Jesus stops? I mean, you'll notice that in the next scene right here, we have Jesus doing the uh, first kind of contact tracing, if you will. He, he turns around in that moment after this lady who was not supposed to be there reaches out and touches him. And he says, wait a second, who just got to me? Uh, I felt something in me fall out of me, go to somebody, and so who just touched me? And the disciples are like, are you crazy? Everybody's been touching you. He asked that question, who just touched me? And every hand in the crowd would have gone in the air. I know I touched him. You know you touched him. But Jesus insists on still looking for the crowd because there's one hand that is not in the air and it's the person that he's searching for in that moment. The one hand that did not feel like it could actually be there. Next scene. Jesus keeps looking around to see who had done it. He sees all the people that have been touching him, but there's somebody that he actually felt. Knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him, the whole truth. Why are you afraid? Well, she touched him. If you go back to Leviticus, if a woman like this touches a man like Jesus, that's grounds for a stoning. She could be killed in the spot right here, and Jesus would have every legal grounds to do so. She doesn't know a lot about Jesus. She doesn't know what he's going to do next. It's all up for grabs. So she touches him, and Jesus looks, and then she responds. And she could tell a half-truth, but instead she chooses to tell the whole truth. She talks about what it's been like in her body to physically be wasting away. She talks about the doctors who have abused and exploited her. She talks about the jobs that won't hire her, the family that abandoned her. She talks, she lays it all out there, trusting that even at the risk of death, I'm going to brave my way to life. And Jesus, in response, he doesn't speak a word that is about dying. Instead, he speaks a word and he calls her daughter. Daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. But now, wait a second. Didn't it say in the text earlier that she was already freed from her suffering? But didn't it say that when she reached out and she touched the corner of his cloth, that all of a sudden her body was cured and she was good to go? So why is Jesus saying now, go in peace now. You're freed from your suffering. Because it wasn't about what Jesus told her, it was about what Jesus called her. On Jesus' way to go and heal this daughter of Jairus, Jesus stops because there's another daughter that didn't know that she was a daughter. There's another child of God that was told that she is not. There's another person who's been cast aside and religiously ordained in their absence in the place. Stops in the most urgent of moments 
to look for this one that nobody else was looking for, the one who snuck up from behind and touched him on the back because he insists that she's a child of God and she belongs up here in the front. Is this making sense? This text has been speaking to me a lot. I mean, I just think it's one of those beautiful texts. Obviously, it's somewhat familiar to all of us. But at the core of all things, when we talk about belonging, when we celebrate pride, when we talk about actually having all of God's children being celebrated, no clause or exemption or attachment present, like when we actually live into these things, we're saying you are a daughter, you are a son, you are a child of God, and we see you, celebrate you without you. Simultaneously, we are calling people back to their center. Because we know that some people, you can fix a symptom. But until you get to the source and the center, that wound will still carry on. So I'm going to close with just this video. I think I've showed you guys this video before, but it's, it's always been a powerful glimpse for me. It's from the movie Blood Diamond. There is a boy who has been given a script of being a child soldier that was never his to play. His story gets high, gets warped, and the dad is there reminding him that he's a child. Play this clip, Patty, please. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this space, God. Thank you for this story. Thank you for this woman, God, and her bravery. Thank you for Jairus and his humility, God. Thank you for calling us out of the scripts we've been cast and into our calling that is true, that we are children of yours, God, that we are yours, God, that we are worthy, not to sneak up from behind like a thief in hope of a fix, God, but to stand before you in your eyes of grace, knowing that that's where we belong, that's where we've always belonged. Lord, we're grateful that this woman was not just freed from her suffering, but that she was also freed from her shame and that her true name was restored. God, help us in restoring our own names. Remind us again and again of who we actually are. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.